Uh, my name's Pastor Nate, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Pastor Matt's on vacation, uh, but thank you very much, uh, music team, for leading us in song as we worship our awesome God. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Psalm 139. See, now that uh, I get the opportunity to take my face off, you get to see mine, and if you're visiting, uh, hopefully I get to see yours outside. So... Um, Please make sure you say hello. So I see your beautiful God-given face and not the cloth over it. The other day I was walking into a store and I was wearing a hat, sunglasses, and a mask. And I thought, you know, six months ago, the cops would have been called. But here it's the cops would have been called if I didn't do it. So it's an interesting time that we live in. And as uh, Beth was saying, thank you very much for, uh, for doing that as we gather together to worship our awesome God. So we're going to be in Psalm 139 as we continue on in our worship series as people get their masks. Thanks, Martin. Have you ever, what gives you security in the most uncertain times? What is that thing that, that you go to that, that gives you security in uncertain times? You know, for me, sometimes it's, uh, well, clearly, if you look at me, it's food. Uh, but sometimes I have this weighted blanket that I got. Uh, it is beautiful, okay? You just sit there on that couch, put, on the, put up the recliner thing, and you put this weighted blanket on, and you just feel everything just melting away. My son stole it. Um, so I don't have it anymore, but I did have it. But how can I have assurance in the darkness of life? Now, any small thoughts that we may have of God are magnificently transcended by this psalm, yet for all of its heights and depths, it remains intensely personal for us. So in Psalm 139, the word of the Lord says this, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirits? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I, sit, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and light about me be night, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. 
Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. O precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. In these first few verses, in these first few verses, in verses one to six, we see this amazing thing. We see that God sees it all. Every ounce of it, everything that is going on in your life, he sees it all. As I grab this water, because my wife saw me and being thirsty. Oh boy. He sees it all. He sees it all. He sees all of you. Like a giant searchlight, nothing has escaped him. He sees every part of who you are and who you will be. Even before you were even a thought in your mother's womb, he saw you. He searched you out. And King David in verse 1, who wrote this psalm, he's praising God by proclaiming an attribute of who God is. If you've noticed, he's praising him because he's reflecting upon the very character of who God is. This is important. He's praising God by who, how God has specifically revealed who he is. Not based on his feelings, but based on the fact of who God is. So he comes and he begins to worship If you're going to praise our God properly, we need to draw our worship from him. That's what David does right here as he's reflecting upon who God is. He's praising God for who he is. This is more than just talking about a teaching, but it's an adoring, the amazing character of who our God is. As he's spending time reflecting upon how God has revealed himself, he's just in awe and wonder of what he has done. Think about this. He, God, he sees all things. And it's more than just not missing anything and capturing everything. This is a personal and active attribute. David is known by God. It's personal and it's active. Do you see the end there? David does say, oh God, you know all things. He doesn't say, God, you know all things. David says, you know me. You see the personal aspect that's coming out. David tells us about a hostile world that we see later on in the song in verses 19 to 24. And he can live in that world because he knows that God knows him. 
That's how he can go. And his situation hit completely. God knows exactly what is going on in King David's life. And he rests and he finds security. David finds rest and security in the fact that he is known by God. Like, think about this. God, the creator of the universe, by his word, he spoke into being everything, all-knowing, all-seeing. And then think about poor you. God knows you. How can we not sit in wonder of what a God has done for us. He discerns our thoughts from afar. God is watching you from, a, he, from those quiet times that are in your life. He's, he's watching you when you're most active. He is watching you at all times. And he's searching out. He's like he's, he's winnowing his past. He's acquainted with all of you. God knows your daily movements. But more than just knowing how you move, he has a deeper understanding of who you are and what you have done. He knows his thoughts all together. His knowledge of, of who, of you, of King David is so perfect that he knows even the thoughts that are going through his head. He knows his thoughts before David thinks his thoughts. He knows the words that are going to come out of his mouth before he even says the words that are coming out of his mouth. God knows you. He knows you. He knows you totally. And as he knows you, in verse 5, he sees that you hem in, he hems in David. Our God is intimately acquainted with who you are, our nature, and our character. How good is it for us to know that God who knows us, to be known by him. He knows us as, as if we, he had examined every part of us with a magnifying glass, like he's going over every ounce of your body. He knows you better than you know yourself. In a marriage, we often know, we come acquainted with that, right? Our spouses have this tendency to know us better than we know ourselves. But it's still imperfect. They don't know our thoughts. They don't know everything that's going on in our minds. They don't know what we're going to do. They don't even know what we've all done in the past. But God knows us perfectly. He is surrounding you like a blanket of security as he hems you in. God has set us where we are and placed us where we should be. So either there is a God who is recording our sins or in grace is blotting out that memory. In front of us, there's a God who knows all of our actions and providing for all of our needs. We can't run from him. He is behind. He is in front. He has hemmed us in like an army encircling a city. We go to Hebrews 4 where we see this. It says later on, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You ever had that nightmare? where you're standing in front of a bunch of people and you're naked? No. (laughs) No, I haven't either, but I hear some people have. See, for those who are in Christ, he has surrounded you and he touches you with love as a parent touches a beloved son or daughter. 
He has a personal and active knowledge of his people, of you. He knows you. And that knowledge should overwhelm us to to bask in the wonder of our God. Just like a weighted blanket and sitting under it and feeling the weight as it comforts you, David sees God's knowledge as a blanket of security, which leads him to verse 6, where he just praises God. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David's worship is not based upon his feelings of his circumstances. His perspective is changing to who God is and how he has revealed it. It is grounded in the very attributes of God. It flows out of his reflection on who God is. Both our minds and our hearts are affected when we think about these things. If you want to deepen your awe of who God is, become more aware of him. It's a simple equation. Grow in the grace and the knowledge, as Peter says, of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For God's people, we even welcome this sort of scrutiny, right? And it's scary. It's the scary part. We welcome the scrutiny of God knowing everything about us and should be eager to confess our sins knowing that he loves us. It is this that we just stand amazed, right? We see Romans 11 verse 33, all the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. If God is all-knowing, there is nothing too hard for him. And it is because of the faith we have in such a God that we can rest secure in him. Knowing that he, he, he promises his, his promises never to fail us as long as we continue in him. He has known us from eternity even before creation. God knew you and me where we would appear in the course of time and whom we would interact with. He knows it all. He even foresaw the ugliness of your sin and your depravity, yet in his sovereign love, he loves you. He set his seal upon us and drew us to the love in Jesus Christ. See, here's the amazing part of this verse that really kind of hit me really hard this week. Because I've always been taught that this is a great verse, and it's a great verse of, of positive it is. We have a God who loves us and knows every part of it. That is an amazing fact. The flip side of that is that he also knows you. He knows you. You know that little thing that you kind of hide in the dark? That little sin that you kind of know in the corner of your head that you don't really want to address? He knows that. You know that thing that's in your life that you're most ashamed of? He knows that. He knows it all. He doesn't just know you as an individual, as intimate. He, just, he knows every ounce of who you are, all of your character flaws, everything. But the fact that is the most mind-blowing that, that even King David comes out on this is that he sovereignly loves his people. He chose them. He elected them. He called them. And he knew all of that before he did that. 
It's an amazing thing that we see about who God is. We see this in, in Ephesians 1, verse 3 and 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. See, I'm completely amazed by the overwhelming, never-ending, sovereign love of God. I'm completely amazed. How God's sovereign love chases me down how he knows exactly who I am. I couldn't earn his love. He knows all of the dirt of my life. I don't deserve his love, yet in Christ, he loved me. He knows me better than my wife, and he loves me. Don't let that speed by. Don't let that speed by. Yet Christ still came and he ransomed me. He ransomed you. As he died the most agonizing of deaths and known the man as he hung on the cross, he knew you. The sin that you would continue to, compete, to, to, to do in your life, he knew that you would do that. Yet he sovereignly loves you. When I think that the God who knows all things in my life sovereignly loves me, how could I not proclaim what what David says in verse 6? It is high, I cannot attain it. It's overwhelming. For those who repent and believe the gospel that Christ has died for our sins and rose again can know the sovereign love of God who knows you. He sees all of who you are and has sovereignly chosen you. If you are in Christ, you will see him face to face, but our knowledge of him will never be complete. Our wonder and love and praise of him shall go on for all millennia as we bask in the rays of his heavenly love, learning and appreciating him more and more as we seek to understand his omniscient, all-knowing God. See, as unworthy as I am, the worthy one died for me. Be amazed by God's sovereign love for the reckless ones. It is because God perfectly sees, and this is Spurgeon, God perfectly sees all of you. It is only because he sees you perfectly that he can save you perfectly. He has to see all of your dirt in order to save you from all of your dirt. So as I bask upon the omniscience all seeing God, I just am amazed by the grace and the mercy that he's poured on my life. God knows everything and is everywhere which fortifies those who are in Christ. Although he knows all about us, he loves us in Christ and will not condemn us as Romans 8 verse 1 says. He knows you perfectly, and because he knows you perfectly, he can save you perfectly today. 
So confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And you will be saved. No place we go will take us away from our Lord, Redeemer, and friends. In our worst problems, He is there with us. His right hand holds us in loving embrace. He sees everything, which means He has to be everywhere. And because He is everywhere, He will hold you fast. In verses 7 to 12, we see also that as David begins to reflect upon God, is all present. Omnipresent is that word. It is God is everywhere that he sees everything. David is full of wonder of God's omnipresence. In 1 Kings we see, but will God intend, indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. When we were looking at Jonah previously in this year, last year, we see that Jonah learned this the hard way as he tried to actually physically run away from, from God. The Lord's knowledge hems David in. He cannot flee from him. Where shall I go from your spirit? David moves to answer this very question. Where can I run from an all-seeing God? The simple answer is nowhere. Where am I going to go? Heaven, you're there. Sheol, which is death, you're there. In the morning when I wake up, you're there. Every part of life, you are there. Even if darkness is engulfing me, it doesn't affect that. You still see. There is no way for anyone to escape the view of God. There's this truth about God's omnipresence. There is nowhere, nowhere in the universe that God will not be present to lead and hold the person who is in Christ. There is nowhere too dark for God to see those who are his. God will lead his people and hold them. There is no place where you are beholding God's care. It is God's own way of saying There is no termination dates on my commitment to you. You can't get rid of my grace to you. You can't unround my mercy. You can't evade my goodness. My heart is set on you. Yesterday I was reflecting upon this as I was reading uh, a book. And I was thinking about how often my view of who God is is really determined by my own thoughts about who he is. Yet God graciously comes through his word, reveals himself to me, and is graciously correcting my thoughts of who he is. He knew all the dirt in my life. He knows all the dirt in your life. Yet he called and elected you. He is everywhere. And because he called and elected you, you can't outrun him. So why in the world when we sin do we try to outrun him? Why? God's character hasn't changed. It is the same as it was yesterday as it is today. So when I feel shame and sin in my life, why do I run away from him? 
For those in Christ, there is nowhere you can go that God can't get to you. So why are you running when he convicts you of the sin that's in your life? He is not like you and me. He already knew you were going to do that. So the easiest thing for you and for me is to run to the grace of, to the loving arms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's this great song called Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. It says, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. While the tempest raged on, when temptations claims the battle, and it seems that night has won. Can you hear the echo from, from uh, Psalm 139? Deeper still then goes the anchor. Though I just stand accused, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. No, it shall never be removed. God is everywhere, and this is why he sees all things in all places. He can't, we can't hide from the all-seeing God. And God's authority goes from heaven to earth. It is everywhere. And we even see that in how he is, God is all creative in verses 13 to 19. These are amazing verses that even in the darkness of his, of his mother's womb, God will care for David as he reflects on how God sees all and is everywhere. He sees how God knew him in his mother's womb. God was active in the unformed substance grew and developing. Not only that, it was God who formed his inward parts and knitted him together. Have you ever seen someone knit? I know it's a lost art, right? I'm not going to try. I, when I was a youth pastor, I had a youth, he was in grade six, who knitted. We went to a hockey game, and he was knitting. He pulled out his knitting stuff and started knitting. It takes a lot of effort and concentration to knit, Right? I had a great aunt who, who would, like, so we would have a family get-together, and she would just start, actually, I think it was crocheting. I don't even know the difference. And he, she had yarn and needles, okay? So she's knitting, and, and she's knitting, and she would just, she was so fast. Like, these face cloths would be coming out of her like a factory. Like, they're all over the place. But knitting takes effort and concentration. There's a purpose there. And if you don't have a purpose or a pattern in your mind, what happens? Probably what would happen if I attempted to knit. Just a giant string of stuff. But God comes here and he, he forms the inward parts. He knitted them together. God saw him. He saw you. And even had written in his book every one of the days that were formed for you. God's knowledge of David goes back to his birth, his conception. In his sovereign love for you, he has given purpose. His heartful thoughts for you outstrip what you can conceive. He intends to restore you into the, radi uh, the radiance of who he wants you to be created. And that is dependent not on you keeping yourself clean, but on you taking your mess to him. He doesn't limit himself to working with the unspoiled parts of us that remains after a lifetime of sinning. His power runs so deep that he is able to redeem the very worst parts of your past into the most radiant parts of your future. But we need to take those dark miseries to him. 
who already knows. In his omniscience and omnipresence, he saw you as he, as, as he was forming you in your mother's womb. There is purpose in that. I don't know if anyone's ever been told that you were a mistake, but you're not. That's against even this. There's no part of your life that God hasn't been actively in. He knitted you and formed you. He has a purpose for you. There's nothing reckless about our God. To say he's reckless is to deny what God is saying about himself right here. But on another note, let me do a quick little thing about this. This is why abortion is abhorred. This is why, as Christians, we stand against it. Because in abortion, we treat what God is knitting together in the womb of the mother, and we say, you're garbage. You are nothing. It goes against what God says in his word. God forgive us for not standing up for the unborn in this country. But we look at this. God created us. It is out of these things that God, that David is so overwhelmed with the thoughts of him and it guides him into his praise and his attitude because in verses 19 to 24, we see that he's basking in the wonder of God's holiness. Who, while reading this, was like, wait, come on, let's be honest. Who was like, hey, wait, we can hate people? The Bible really says something like that? It does. You see that? Why would David say something like in verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God? In verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? The Bible says that. And the word is true. It is the word of the Lord. How can this happen? But as David is reflecting upon the omniscience and omnipresence of his God, that God is all-knowing and he is all-seeing, he basks in the wonder that that same God knitted him together, that begins to reflect upon the fact that God is holy. He is holy. In verses 19 to 24, God is holy. And not everyone delights in God and in his knowledge and in his presence. So David comes and says that the wicked person who joins with men in blood to, to those who boast in, in killing and, and boasting in things that are against who God, he says, God is against those. And if I am so identified with God, I am against them. And he continues on. Even those who hate the word, the name of our God, he hates as well. He's so identified with him. And as David reflects on God's omniscience and omnipresence, he wonders again, he wonders, it begins to, to grow and grow. And as it grows and grows, as he wonders upon who God is, he begins to become more identified with who he is. We do understand that in the Bible it says, I am holy, therefore be holy, right? Be holy as I am holy, declares the Lord. It says that in Leviticus and in First Peter. They're so identified with him 
And as he's basking upon the character of who God is, his attributes, he becomes more aware of the holiness of God. He becomes so identified with them that the same heart that God has for people, he has, but also the flip side of that same coin, the same thing God hates, he hates. So what? And here's the thing. Assurance in the darkness comes from the reflection on the object of our faith. You want assurance in the darkest times of your life? I do. It comes from reflecting on the object of my faith. David has an authentic faith in who God is. That is what gives him the assurance in the darkness. He has more than any optimistic outlook on life with some sort of spirituality that is sprinkled into it. He's not just being optimistic. He is not hoping for the best. But how many of us walk through our life in that way to view faith as just an optimistic outlook on life or hoping for the best is not authentic faith. It isn't the faith that causes David to sing these words. Folks, we need something more than just cliches. To get us through the troubles of our life, we need authentic faith that strengthens us in the darkness of our life. So authentic faith is the confident assurance in events not yet seen. There was a pastor, his name is Pastor Art, who said it this way, faith is not a call to believe in things when common sense tells you not to. Faith is not a mindless stab in the dark. It is not a crossing of the fingers and hoping for the best. It is not a leap into apparent nothingness. It is a word that speaks of reasoned, careful, deliberate, intentional thoughts of who God is. But what are those thoughts of? God and his promises. That is what David is doing here. He is reflecting on the very person of God. If you are absolutely gripped by the coming realities that have been promised to you, God, there is an outcome of being gripped by the God we see in the Bible. We see that in David's reaction to those who are wicked, the outcome in your life right now is God by our who our God is. Will, does, David is not just believing in God. He is believing God. He is taking God at his word. So for you and for me, the outcome of this assurance is living in obedience to his revelation, whatever the cost, because you know deep down in your bones that God will always do what he says because he is omniscient and omnipresent. This, that is what he, he's talking about here. There is an abiding assurance in God and his promise that animates you to persevere in your obedience to him. So here are some questions that that same pastor, Pastor Art, continues on. He says, do you wish to be more consistently obedient, steadily persevering Christian? Do you wish to be a stronger Christian, a more courageous and outspoken Christian? Then you need to strengthen your faith. 
Your faith instinctively strengthens as the understanding of that object of your faith grows. You expand your understanding of that object of your faith, and faith itself comes out of that. If you are a Christian, the object of your faith is Jesus Christ and all of his promises. Is your faith weak? Is today one of those days where you feel like you don't have the strength to go on? It is owing to the fact you don't know the object of your faith well enough. But when Jesus Christ comes progressively bigger or even better, your understanding of who he is progressively conforms to the reality. Your faith will become increasingly stronger. Don't hear me. I don't think... You need to understand this. We doubt all the time. It's what we do with that doubt. Where do we run? Do we run to the recessions of our mind? Because that's where I often go. Or do I run to Psalm 139 which says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Where it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? where it says, you have formed my inward parts, you have knitted me together. How precious, in verse 17, to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Search me, O God, in verse 23, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Where do I run? So how does that happen? By diving into the faith-arousing word of God. Read of Jesus Christ. The same powerful word that long ago brought the universe into life. The same word that can bring you to life and furnish you with a faith that is truly and authentically Christian. It is through that that you can have assurance in the darkness. What brings you to praise this morning? Even in the hardest times, with tears, with, with, with tears and, and stress and anxiety, what brings you to this? How are you savoring your Lord and Savior this morning when you come face to face with who he is as he has shown himself in his word? What brings you to praise? For David, it was reflecting on the omniscience and omnipresence of God. Those attributes gave him assurance in the darkness of his life. Let us continue to worship our awesome God this morning with that in mind. We have an omnipresent, a God who is everywhere. We have an omniscient God, a God who sees all things. And, he, and even though he saw all the things in your life, all the sins that you were going to do and the sins that you will do, he sovereignly loves you. We get to praise that God. In the midst of hardships, we get to praise that God. Let us do that. Assurance in the darkness comes from reflecting on the object of our faith. We praise God who perfectly knows you is able to perfectly save you. Let us praise him together.